when I put my clothes in the dryer, I left the room. When I came back, they had been taken out before the cycle was over. So someone just opened up a random dryer and took my clothes out and just put them on the window ledge. And I was really shocked that that happened because I thought, you know, maybe they would at least let the cycle go, but no. <laughs> I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Today, Michelle Agaron describes why the new group therapy sessions offered by Counseling Psychological Services deserves your attention. Then, Evelyn Sims voices her issues with the McKeon Laundry Room and the poor state of the campus's laundry culture. Finally, Katrina Lambert talks about the recent protests surrounding the Trump acquittal and its relevance to college students. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. Joining me now is Michelle Agaron, who wrote about CPS's group therapy sessions. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Michelle, just talk to me about what these sessions are. So these sessions basically consist of five to six people usually. And what happens here is this is a long-term and free version of therapy that we usually don't see because I think a lot of people are familiar with the 10 free sessions that we have for individual therapy, but we are not familiar with this group therapy. So basically, you're in a room with about five to six people and you're talking about you know different issues that you might be having. For example, there's a women of color group. There's also international food groups, so basically people sit and eat and talk about these different problems that they may be having with adjusting to whether it is the country that they're in or just the food. There's different types of food here, um, which is just very like different. It's a different structure to what I think most people imagine group therapy to be, but it's definitely something that I think a lot of people would be interested in. So yeah, it's just more of like a social type of therapy rather than just one-on-one with somebody. And like you mentioned, this is separate from the 10 free sessions that you get with CPS. Yes, it is separate. So if you finish up your 10 free sessions, um, your therapist might offer for you to go to group therapy. It's like a very useful to you. But if it's not, then they might not say it. But usually um, it'll be just suggested if you go to CPS. So a lot is usually made of those 10 free sessions. But of course, the sticking point for that is that those are just 10 free sessions and you have to pay for individual sessions afterward. Why do you think it is that this group therapy isn't more publicized? I'm actually not sure about that. I was talking to um, the director at CPS, Yale Unes, and she was telling me that, I don't know, she just said that they don't do enough advertising for it, but maybe this article will kind of like inform people as they did for you at least. So um, yeah, they don't do enough advertising for it for sure because I had no idea about it until a therapist there told me about it. Um, but no one seems to know about it. I wish they did more advertising. So can you talk about what the experience is like when you're in a group therapy session? Right. So when you're a group therapy session, it's obviously very different. You are not getting individualized attention, but you are kind of talking to other people and forming interpersonal relationships, which is always really great. If you struggle with that, maybe if you need kind of more interactions with other people, if you're feeling lonely here at the university and you want to share your problems, it's definitely a different atmosphere. Um, but also you're kind of forming relationships that you might never form otherwise, so it's very useful. You also mentioned that there are different groups for different kinds of people, and those depend sort of on the issues that they're facing, right? Right. So there are the body image group, there's a body image group, there's a women of color group, there's an international students group, there's two relationships group actually, one for undergraduates, one for graduates, so it just depends on what you're looking for. 
Have you spoken to the people in those groups? I have not. I'm not even sure that I can because it's very personal to people and I'm not sure that they want to release that information that they're in those groups, whether they want to keep it secret or not. Um, but I have not spoken to them. If someone is suffering from something that is relevant to those groups, where would they go in order to get help? They can definitely go straight to the front desk at CPS. They have a lot of information there. Um, they're all very informed. They want to speak to someone directly. Yale Eunice is the person to talk to. So, yeah. What about these group therapy sessions do you think differentiates it from the individual sessions that you'd otherwise have? Personally, I feel that when you're in a group therapy or just a group in general, you listen, you learn to listen more, which I think is not something that you often do when you're in a individual therapy because you're just talking about your problems and the therapist is listening. When you're in a group, you kind of are forced to listen to other people. So as a result, you become not only a good communicator, but also a better listener. Is there any other important information you think that people should have about group therapy? Um, as Yale Younes said, I think it's just really beneficial and people should know about it because if you're you know, worried about these 10 free sessions not being enough for you, you're still kind of getting the same recognition when you're in a group therapy. So it's just it's very helpful to be around people and those who have the same problems and just feel like you're being heard because when you have your 10 free sessions that end, you might feel like, oh, I have to go back to my real life and have to worry about these things and no one to talk to, but this is an outlet for you. For someone who might be nervous about going into group therapy, do you have anything that you'd like to say to them? There's a huge stigma around seeking therapy and getting help, but also know that when you're going into group therapy, it's different from individual therapy. You're not like, you know, being caught in a room, if that's how you feel, caught in a room with two, with just the one therapist and having to talk about your problems. It's not as nerve wracking around other people who are also actively seeking help. So don't feel too bad about it. Do you have any final thoughts about anything that CPS is doing or group therapy? I just wish that CPS advertises more. I hope this article does something about that that I just wrote because it's a great program, I think, and I had no idea about it, but it's something that everyone should engage in, I think. so. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Joining me now is Evelyn Sims. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Evelyn, can you talk to me about what your article was about? Um, so I wrote about the laundry room in McKeon. It's a very crowded space uh, since this is the largest freshman class forum has had thus far. So it's constantly um, overrun with clothes people left behind. There's a lot of mold in there from the machines. And it, doing laundry in McKeon is just a very unpleasant experience. Do you have any particular memories of bad experiences that you've had in the laundry room? Yes, so actually the second time I attempted to do laundry, uh, it took me about an hour or so to just get a machine, uh, one washing machine, and then when I put my clothes in the dryer, I left the room, and when I came back, they had been taken out before the cycle was over, so someone just opened up a random dryer and took my clothes out and just put them on the window ledge and I was really shocked that that happened because I thought you know maybe they would at least let the cycle go but no <laughs> and then anytime I try to do laundry during the day it's just impossible. Is that what spurred you to write the article? Yes for sure I feel like the culture surrounding taking clothes out of the washers and dryers is kind of a not the best um, that we have here. I mean, obviously, I understand you have to get your laundry done, but I feel like it's just a little brutal here. Do you have any proposed solutions for what the school could do to improve 
the laundry experience, especially for freshmen for whom this is their first time living away from their parents and in a new environment. Yeah, so something I mentioned in the article is that Fordham actually uses use an app that is connected to the washers and dryers um, in the laundry room that tells you how long each machine has and the um, other availability. And it's, it's virtually not promoted at all on campus. I noticed when I was writing the article, I didn't even know of its existence. I had heard of something like that, but I could never find what the name of it was online or anything. So I actually initially wrote the article critiquing form for that. And then my editor, uh, Grace, came to me and said, actually, we have this. So it's so not talked about that I feel like that would solve so many problems initially. And then long term, I feel like if Fordham is going to kind of start having bigger classes, they might need to look at having a couple more machines in there but obviously that's a very long-term you know more complicated solution why do you think it is that residential life is not properly communicating with its students i i feel like it just hasn't gotten to a point where they feel like it's a big enough issue i feel like there there's a lot other things that they're worried about that it's just not something they prioritize unless they really have to. Um, We do occasionally get emails sent out about all the clothes left behind there, but I feel like they just don't, uh, they're hesitant to implement any stronger policies about it. And I, I feel like it's definitely something they should look into. I think that this issue is something that someone in the administration might not give priority to because it sounds like such a small thing, mm-hmm. but laundry is an extremely important part mm-hmm. of someone's daily existence. Mm-hmm. What are some ways you think that we could improve not only how Fordham handles these sorts of situations, but the culture surrounding the laundry room in general? I, I feel like in order for a change to take place, there really kind of has to be more consequences involving you know misusing the laundry room. And I also feel like people need to the you know res life or um someone else involved needs to you know check up on the laundry rooms more so than relying on the residents to do it um because when it comes to residents it's it's bystander effect like if there's a broken machine someone most likely isn't going to report it or if someone does it's would take a long time for it to get fixed um there was a washing machine broken all of last semester um in our laundry room so i feel like the it's like an RA or someone in res life kind of needs to check up on the laundry rooms and you know maybe just talk to residents about how they're treating the space more um and obviously it would be extreme to implement something like fines which is you know a pretty common occurrence for when residents uh you know misbehave or whatever but I I've it's something that if it was implemented, I personally don't think I would be opposed to it because it is such a mess in there and it's such a communal space that I feel like there really should be steps to improve it. Could you talk a little bit more about what you called bystander effect and how that sort of plays into the laundry culture? Yep. Yeah, so I I definitely believe that when someone, you know, sees trash on the ground, like loose dryer sheets, other people's clothes or just kind of mess in the laundry room in general, it's definitely not their first instinct to pick it up or anything. And I feel like they as well feel like they can, you know, leave their, 
use dryer sheets or clothes or trash in there just because someone else before them has already done it. So I feel like that's very prevalent in all of the laundry rooms, just not really caring since someone else before them didn't care. Do you think that there's something that students could do sort of on a person-by-person basis to make sure that things like that don't end up happening? I really think it just comes down to respecting the space and understanding that it's a heavily used space and it's it you just have to have a respect for it. and we do have free laundry with the cost of living here and I feel like that's a pretty big privilege to have even that our tuition covers it so I feel like students should really just respect the space more and you know, acknowledge that we do have free laundry here and that I feel that students should really just take responsibility for their clothes and their items and really just something as simple as remembering to throw out your dryer sheet if it's on the floor or you know picking up your sock that fell out of the dryer instead of just leaving it there. I feel like there's very simple things involving um, keeping the laundry room clean that students can do. Are there any final thoughts that you have on the subject of the McKeon Laundry Room and anything maybe that you'd like to say to either Res Life or the students who are living in McCann? Yeah, I feel like it's it's really time that we start looking at the laundry room as, you know, a communal space that we're sharing and really make efforts to treat it that way and just keep it more clean um, for all of us, really. Evelyn, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Joining me now is Assistant News Editor Katrina Lambert. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Katrina, talk to me about what your article was about. So, basically, uh, following the acquittal of President Donald Trump, um, there was a bunch of protests in Columbus Circle. And so, basically, I needed to cover, um, you know, what the scene was like at the protests around the Columbus Circle, since it is pretty close to our campus. Um, and then also like some reactions to that. Um, a lot of Fordham students attended the protest, um, and then I also was able to talk to the groups that participated in it and sort of organize the event and to see what they wanted to achieve. Can you talk to me about what the experience was like on the ground? Um, the people who attended, they said that it was fairly small and organized. There seemed to be, so there was counter protests, and then there was also Um, the people who were organized the event um, and were protesting against the acquittal. Um, So the counter protesters were very, uh, the words that are people who uh, answered and responded to us, they said they were really smug looking and they seemed like they were really proud that they won, sort of. The protesters were pretty upset, pretty angry. Um, They were demanding reform. They seemed to be mad at the government and the people who were making the decisions in particular. Can you talk about why the Trump acquittal is particularly relevant to New Yorkers and more specifically college students? Yeah, definitely. So um, I would say that in national politics, you know, normally people talk about politics at like, you know, national level and then the local level Um, and local level is what affects us most directly. Um, But at the national level, Donald Trump, he owns a lot of areas uh, and buildings and, you know, real estate in New York. Um, And he likes to talk about New York City in particular as being his city. So I think that in that way, we're very directly connected to the national level um, and the decisions that he makes. Also, New York is a huge city. 
Um, and so we have a lot of demographics and he does affect a lot of demographics with some of the social policies that he likes to do or he enacted. Yeah, so the acquittal was, I think, a big deal to a lot of Fordham students because it sort of showed that the government um, wasn't able to effectively perform their uh, checks and balances in a way and that is that's basically what a lot of students were saying um, and it's why they attended the protests because they were upset with the fact that these big changes that are directly affecting them um, weren't having the checks that they needed in order to you know effectively um, put someone out of power. Can you share some of the specific complaints that the protesters had about Trump and the acquittal? Yes, so the protest groups, they were demanding um, accountability, reform, and democracy um, following the acquittal. Um, And a lot of the Fordham students were harking on that as well, um, arguing that basically in the fallout of events, they were disappointed with the way that the national government has been acting and they were hoping to get some accountability um, from the Senate um, in particular because they saw the Senate as not being able to pull through with, um, you know, the impeachment trial that the House sort of enacted. And, you know, they were upset with the senators and they were upset with just the way the national government in general has been acting and um, enforcing a lot of policies. And yeah, and then they wanted reform, so they wanted a way to kind of get um, that system fixed. In your article, you noted that there were a number of counter-protesters, including some who might be unexpected supporters of President Trump. Why do you think it is that it's important to talk about that particular aspect of the aftermath surrounding Trump's acquittal? I remember um, one of our students who who was at the protest, she commented about the fact that she saw um, people holding up signs that said LGBTQ plus is for Trump, saying that they themselves are either part of that community and that they were all the community as a whole is for Trump. Um, And that sort of rubbed her the wrong way. Um, And I think that something that she said was that Um, It was surprising that they had the authority or they believed that they had the authority to sort of speak on behalf of an entire community where President Trump hasn't been as supportive of that community um, in regards to the policies he's made and some of the statements that he's made. She just didn't see how that lined up. Um, And then in the acquittal, basically seemed like, um, you know, nobody cared about that community and the way that they were being affected if, you know, he can get away with saying those statements and making policies that are very oppressive to that community um, and a lot of other strong like communities and demographics that are you know blatantly offensive to them um, and not get held accountable for his actions um, and especially in a country that talks about equality a lot and really um, you know puts a strong emphasis on freedom. Do you have any final thoughts? I think following the acquittal there was a lot of that negative responses about you know the the federal government not doing their job and not being able to effectively be accountable for each other and I think that that just gives us more reason to vote and more reason to make an emphasis um, and a you know powerful punch in the next election because Most college students, at least at this point, can vote, so we all should. Katrina, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. This has been Retrospect. I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. See you next time.